0: Well, I'm excited uh, this morning. We are uh, starting a new uh, series. We're going to start a series through the book of Acts this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1, that's where we're going to be. But um, I'm just so excited about this. And, and uh, it's going to be a long series, but, but hopefully a life-changing series. I mean, uh, we're going to talk today about somewhat about what the book of Acts is about. And, uh, and really what my desire is for us is that we really would pay attention and be attentive to what the followers of christ in the early church looked like um we cue in on on uh how did they live what did they do how did they treat each other how you know all the stuff um what was going on in the church as it first started and and that's really what the book of acts is, is kind of a, a um a picture and and a history of of uh, the early church the beginning of the church and and uh, and just so kind of to prepare um for it um and kind of getting ready into it, if, if you 'll turn to acts chapter one we 're just going to read the first five verses. but uh, I do want us to pay attention as we study through every part of this um, because there 's going to be things that you may not even know about how the early church responded to situations and and how they um, were used by God in situations and so uh, I really believe that if we put our hearts and our minds and our uh, just kind of open ourselves up to God and, and his speaking through this series. We're going to grow a lot. Uh, We're going to change a lot if we really look at this with eyes of, well, this is what God desired for followers of him to be when the church first started. Maybe that's what he wants us to be today, um, this many years later. And so uh, I'm going to read the first uh, five verses of the book of Acts. Um, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen to them. He presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized With the Holy Spirit Uh, I want to pray and uh, just ask God that he would really speak not just this morning but as we set out I mean we've got weeks and weeks and weeks and months and probably years that we're gonna be spending in this book and uh, and just ask that man that God would speak to us and that we would be receptive to what he wants to speak to us through this but let's pray father thank you so much for your word God thanks for giving it to us and uh, and father as we look at just the beginning of this book that you have given to us, um, God, I pray that you would open our hearts. That we would be worshipful people as we look to it and respond to what you are teaching throughout it. And uh, God, that you would be glorified, that you would be praised with our hearts and with our response. We pray that you be with us now. Speak, God, we pray. We pray that you would speak, that your spirit would move. Lord, that you would glorify yourself. And then we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just uh, a little bit of a preface or, or kind of um, background going into the book. Uh, the book is written by Luke. Uh, it starts off, you notice it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt uh, with all that Jesus began to do. The writer of the book is Luke. It's the same writer that wrote the Gospel of Luke. Okay? And so the same guy writes both of these books. And Luke, if, if, uh, if you don't know much about Luke, Luke was a doctor and a historian. And so here's this doctor historian who, who is writing this account for us in, in Acts. Everything we have in Acts is written um, from him and, and, and uh, put together by him. And so um, as a as an historian, the, the cool thing about the book of Acts and the cool thing about Luke is we have a guy who's going to carefully study and put together um, truth for us so that we have an account of what happened in Luke In the life of Christ in Acts with the story and the beginnings of the church that followed Jesus death and resurrection. And and why do I say that that he carefully researched and we have an accurate um, picture is because if you look back in the book of Luke. okay, I want you to turn back with me because this is this is important. As we look at who Luke is and and as we look at um, the account that he's given us both in Luke and in Acts in Luke. Chapter 1, and, and you can just flip um, to the left in your Bible two books. John is the first book to the left, Luke is the next. So, the very beginning of, of Luke. First four verses it says this Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So both of these are written to Theophilus, right? Luke is writing both of these accounts to Theophilus. And I love in Luke at the beginning um, what we just read in in verse three. it, it, It says it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. We don't know um, who Theophilus is for sure. Uh, can assume that he is uh, a Roman official of some kind. Because of in Luke we just read, he, he, he refers to him as most excellent Theophilus. If you look later on in the book of Acts, um, Acts chapter 24, verse 2, uh, Paul is actually speaking to the governor. And when he's speaking to the governor, he refers to him as most excellent. And then uh, two chapters later, he's speaking to the king, and uh, it's King Agrippa, and he again refers to him as most excellent Agrippa. And so we could probably assume then that um, in this case, Theophilus is some kind of Roman official. Doesn't mean he's a king. Doesn't mean that he's a governor or whatever, but some sort of Roman official that that. Um, Luke is writing to, okay now we don't know if he's a believer. we don't know if he's a follower of Christ. We don't know anything else about him except that he's receiving these two accounts from from Luke and so uh, we're not sure if 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 Luke is writing because he's just encouraging this guy who is following Christ or because this guy's got questions about who is this Jesus, and I've seen all this stuff and and now Jesus. I know he was crucified and and now he's supposedly walking around and talking to people and, and, and all this stuff. And so uh, we don't know. It may have been an account for that, but we're not positive. All we know is at the end of that, OK, uh, as he writes at the end of that section in Luke, he says he writes so that he might be certain of the things about Christ. Man, that's great. I mean, and, and, and kind of one of the things that I want to do this morning is this um, as we kind of go through the message, there's there's. Three things that, that I think should bring us certainty, uh, not just about Christ, but about God's word. Three things that should bring us certainty about God's word and about the teaching in God's word. And the first one is just what we've talked about already. Uh, Luke was a historian. He was a doctor, and he carefully examined to put together these accounts. All right. Now, I tell you that because, number one, Luke would have been careful. Historians don't just like write things down. Well, this guy looked that way, and so he probably did this miracle. He, they don't do that. They, they, they talk to people. They interview people. They, they find out what happened and then give us an account historically of what happened. And so, really, we can trust the Bible. We can trust just because of Luke's writing, okay? But I don't want to stop there because here's the thing. I don't only say um, use Luke because Luke is one of 40 people. Okay? Luke is one of forty different people. The Bible, okay, what you have in your hands is the Bible, is not one book. It's sixty-six different books. That's why we say turn to the book of Acts or turn to the book of Luke or turn to the book of Matthew or whatever it is. Sixty six different books, okay? Those sixty six different books are written by forty different authors. Okay? We have sixty six different books written by forty different authors, many of whom never met each other. Those authors most never knew or met each other. You know why? Because they lived over a period of 1,500 years. So we've got 66 books written by 40 different authors written over a period of 1,500 years. And all of the books agree with each other. All of them. All of them tell the same story. All of them point to God. All of them tell the story that leads to Christ coming, living, being uh, persecuted suffering and dying and rising again and so as we look at it man i want you to have certainty and and this is something we're going to cover um, sometime here is is uh man just why can we trust the bible those are only a few reasons but for me it's just like man if if i if i even look at that we ought to have certainty in the things that we're reading 40 men 40 people wrote over a period of 1500 years living from t- those guys by the way they weren't all like luke they weren't all doctors in a story and some were were fishermen and some were a tax collector and some were kings and some all different types of people writing the same story that completely totally agrees with each other we ought to have certainty as we look at this. And so as Luke, who is, who is this historian and doctor, who gives us this account, account, why does he give it? Not just so that Theophilus can be certain of these things, but so that we can be certain about what Christ did, what he endured, the fact that he died, the fact that he lives again, and then the picture of what he desires the church to look like. So it goes on in verse 1. It says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began. In the first book, O Theophilus, speaking of the book of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. All that Jesus began to do and teach. We talks about that. Um, in the book of Luke, um, if you read it, it's, it's, it's really the account of Christ, right? His birth, his life, his teachings, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. That's Luke, okay? And it's an incredible book because um, Luke gives different kind of... He looks at things from a different angle than the other gospel. Where you can you can totally tell that this guy's a doctor, okay, uh, just from the things that he talks about, the things that the, the perspective that he takes on the life of Christ. What he's saying here is, in the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now that's kind of important, okay, because when Jesus was here, when he lived, and, and if you read Luke or Matthew or Mark or, or John, Jesus' work is finished and it's unfinished, okay. Uh, it's finished in that Jesus came and he suffered and he died and he rose again. Uh, the work that Jesus came to do as far as saving and forgiving sins, as far as um, making it possible for us to have eternal life, finished, done. That's what he said on the cross, right? When he's on the cross, he's suffering, he's dying just before he dies. What does he say? It is finished. The work that he came to do as far as making an opportunity for us to be saved, to be forgiven, To be redeemed, to be bought by God it was finished. It was done. And now we're going to find out all throughout the book of Acts. All we have to do is believe, trust in him as the payment for our sins. We're forgiven. We're saved. And so that's finished. However, his work of proclaiming, his work of ministry was just begun. It wasn't finished. When Jesus died, when he rose again, when he went up to heaven, that that ministry of his of proclaiming the gospel, of of ministering to people, of being uh, those who who give the message was just beginning. And really that's what the book of Acts is, is kind of launching into. The book of Acts is the beginning of the proclamation and ministry, or actually the continuing of the proclamation and ministry of what Christ came to do. Okay? So his work of saving us is finished. but his work of proclaiming and ministering and, and taking the gospel to all parts of the world, is just beginning. And that's what, that's what Luke's talking about here when he says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And so it's kind of, as we get into the book of Acts, um, just kind of remembering Luke has given us an account of the beginning of Jesus' work. And now Acts, and then throughout the rest, the rest of the New Testament is, is um the continuation of that work, and it continues today, okay? And that's important, all right? As we look at the book of Acts, if we look at the rest of the New Testament, the work was not completed. The work wasn't done. It's still going on and on and on and on today. And so the work that you see, the, the apostles, and then the early believers, the early church, the followers from... From on and on and on and on and on, the work that they're doing still continues today. That's why, you know, Corey and Megan are picking up in, in like six weeks and moving to go into the missions field. If the work was done, that would be a really stupid move. Okay, just be totally honest. I mean, that's a dumb move. I would live here any day over the jungle if God's work is done. Right. But it's not done And as we look at this, we have to have that mindset of Jesus didn't come and finish all the work. He began the work, and he sends his church out. He sends the apostles out to do the work of the ministry. And from there, it's just going and going and going. And that's why people like Corey and Megan are getting up and going because the work of the ministry, the work of proclamation, is not finished. And so it goes on and it says, "Um, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Now, that line... um, Actually, it hasn't happened yet in Scripture, okay? This is, remember, this is the preface. This is what um, Luke is writing to Theophilus, kind of giving him a, a preface to this letter that he's about to give. Next week, we're going to talk about the ascension and, and uh, Jesus being taken up. But He says, until that day uh, when he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen luke affirming uh everything everything that jesus taught everything that we have here uh in scripture of him teaching not just that luke wrote but that matthew wrote that mark wrote that john wrote all of those words inspired by the holy spirit god speaking through him so that we have truth jesus was the word of god and he dwelt among us and so as we look at it we can trust we can trust Christ set out the path and the way, and as we look at the book of Acts, gives us the account of what ought we to be doing. In verse 3, it says to them, talking about the apostles, to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus dies, he's resurrected. And then it says here in verse three, it says to them, he presented himself to the apostles. He presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs. Um, you know, I was reading that this week and I thought, you know, that's kind of important. You know, that's a pretty important thing that Jesus presented himself alive. If, if he just if the, just the empty grave is there, that's kind of a big deal. Because um, here's the thing. How many of the apostles or any of the followers of Christ are going to be willing to or even desire to suffer to be persecuted to live for christ if they think he's dead right it's it's not much it's not very hopeful to set out and embark on this mission that you're going to be persecuted and suffer for and oh by the way you're doing it for a dead guy that's not very like that's not a great job description you know You're just not going to win a lot of followers if you go up to someone and say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to set out. Here's what I want. I want you to go into places where it's really, really hard, really difficult. And if you say my name, you're probably going to get killed for it. I want you to go. By the way, I'm going to be dead. And everything that I said is not true. Right. It's kind of important that he that he appears to the apostles and others. Right. To give them assurance. And this is incredible, guys. I mean, as we look at this in a minute, but to see what this does in the apostles lives, to see Jesus alive, to see the proof that everything that he taught them, everything that he talked about, the fact that he said, tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. The fact that he said that that he was going to die, but he was going to live again. That's kind of huge, right? It's kind of important and, and to see what the effect of Jesus presenting himself to the disciples does. The proof that Jesus is alive changes people. OK, the proof that Jesus is not dead is it changes people. We're going to see that in the apostles. But here's the thing. Um, it says that he does it by many proofs. And I'm going to we're going to go through that just briefly here. But if. if uh, yeah, go ahead and turn to Luke. Go ahead and t- turn to Luke 24 says he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs. Let's look at just a couple of the what he's talking about there. But Luke 24, verse 39. Let's uh, look at verse 37 first. It says, but they were startled, talking about the, the disciples, and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, this is Jesus, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. One of the first proofs was this touch me like Jesus didn't just like appear in the sky and say, hey, by the way, I'm OK. And he took off. He, he literally comes among them and says, look, 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 don't be afraid. Don't be troubled in your heart. Come and touch me. This is flesh. This is bone. Ghosts don't have that right. And so go ahead and touch me and be certain, be sure that what you're seeing is true. And this is me. It's Jesus. Guys, man, so many things out there that that are like, well, you know, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. They got him off before he died. And so here he is a couple days later and he can present himself. And guys, listen, uh, if Jesus had just been flogged let alone the cross okay if he had just been flogged the way that he was he wouldn't be able to stand in front of these people and even if he had okay even if he had there is no person who's going to set out to change the world for a guy that looks like that all right i mean there's something about jesus appearance that has been changed all right he doesn't look like A guy who's just like barely struggling in because he's been beaten to a pulp. He's risen, all right. He's risen, and here's the disciples who are hanging on this. Okay, they need this assurance. They need to know that this is for real if they're going to set out to change the world. And so he appears to him. He says, "Touch, touch it. Feel its flesh. Feel its bone. Ghosts don't feel like that." All right. The next thing was um, just a couple verses down, verses 41 through 43. He goes on, and and while they still disbelieve, okay? So here's the disciples. Jesus appears to him. He's supposed to be dead. And he appears to him and says, look, touch. I'm not a ghost. Touch and feel. This is for real. They still disbelieved. While they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them. Now imagine. Just imagine, right? Here's your friend. Here's the guy you've given everything, your business, everything to follow and he's dead and your hope was that he was the king your hope was that he was the messiah and he comes back and he appears to you after you think this guy's dead and he says touch and feel i'm alive i'm alive i can imagine there'd be some disbelief because of joy and marveling right i can imagine that there'd be some weird weird feelings going on things i've never felt Going on inside of the disciples, and that's where it says that they're at in forty-one. They were um, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. He said to them, "Have you anything here to eat? I'll show you more proof." Verse forty-two. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. You guys ever seen Ghostbusters? Ever seen that? Anybody ever seen that movie? It's old. I know. Back in the day, it was good. It's good. You remember the the scene where the ghost drinks? He tries to eat like in the big banquet room and he's like picking up all the stuff. What happens? Falls through him, right? Good job. Good job. Goes right through him. That's not what happens here, okay? Jesus, to prove that he's the real thing risen, he eats in front of the disciples because ghosts don't do that, right? Dead people don't eat. You could try to feed one and he will not swallow. He won't digest. He won't do all the stuff that people do. And to Jesus, again, he's like, give me food. You don't. if you don't believe by touching me, give me some food and I'll eat it. And so he goes on and in, in, uh, actually turn to John chapter 20. Just like a page before the Acts passage we're looking at. <clears throat> this is so cool. In uh, John chapter 20, uh, verse 19. So he proves himself by um, letting them touch that he's for real. He proves himself by eating in front of them. Okay, and then in in, uh, John chapter 20, starting with verse 19, it says on the evening of that day. Now, this is right after um, Jesus has been killed. He's buried Um, on Sunday evening. It says the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So here's the disciples locked behind this door because they're afraid. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, it's probably what caused a lot of the fear and marveling and all that stuff. Here's the doors locked, and it says Jesus just appeared before them. It says, Peace. Another proof that he's God and that he's okay, all right? Everything's normal with God today, right? And so here's Jesus standing in the midst of them and, and just appears. Even with the with the doors locked, appears before them and says, "Peace be with you." And then in Acts again, in Acts, he says that to them he presented himself alive after suffering by many proofs. I want us to turn to one more passage. If um, you go to the right from Acts, okay. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Um, let's start with verse 3 it says for i delivered to you as of first importance what i also received that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas that's peter then to the 12 then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Here's the second thing that should bring us certainty. Okay, Uh, First of all, we've got got guys who have written accounts for us over a period of 1,500 years. Here's the second thing that should bring us certainty about what we're reading and about Christ and the reality that Jesus really did live, he really did die, he really did rise again. It's this... Jesus appeared to hundreds of people. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw Jesus, not just the 12 who are locked up in this room. Okay, he appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses. Now, here we have people who are writing the Bible who are eyewitnesses and they're living in a time of other eyewitnesses that saw Jesus live. They saw him die and they saw him rise again. Now, that just doesn't go over as okay if it didn't really happen. If, if, if guys who are supposed eyewitnesses of Jesus living and dying and living again and they're the only ones that see it and they write account, there's going to be some disagreement and there's going to be some people coming out and saying this is a lie. This is heresy. But there are literally hundreds of people who have seen Jesus alive. If people write and say, hey, we saw him alive and that's not true, it's not going to last it's just not going to happen. It's not going to work. All right. And here's eyewitnesses who are writing during the time of other eyewitnesses to give us an account of what Jesus did. Man, that's that's huge. Important. OK, because here's why. That's how you know truth. Do You realize that that's how we know truth. We can't know truth uh, about history from science. We have to know truth about history this way. There has to be accounts that's why in a courtroom, when when if you watch um, a, a trial on TV, okay, what happens in a courtroom in, in 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 a trial when two people come up and sit on the on the same stand and say, "Hey, I saw that guy do it," the next guy comes up and says, "Hey, I saw that guy do it." What happens? The case is closed, right? There's no more questions. There's nothing the defense can do. It's done. If two different people give the same account, give the same testimony about one guy who did it, if the eyewitnesses agree, it's done. We have hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw and yet we still are like, I don't know. I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know if it. we have hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw Jesus alive again. Man, For me, I just have to I have to think and and evaluate that and realize, okay, this just doesn't happen. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people. There would be such an uproar, such an uproar if the people were writing, and there would be such differences. Okay, that's the thing. There would be such differences in opinions of what took place and all of the manuscripts, all of the manuscripts that we have. And there are thousands of manuscripts that we have in the New Testament. Okay, in the original language. All right. Thousands that have been found and they all agree. All of the eyewitnesses writing the same thing and they all agree. It should bring us certainty, guys. It should bring us assurance of the things that we believe, of the things that we say that we believe all of this all of this as Jesus appears to all these people and 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 shows himself to the disciples and, and and proves his being alive in all these different ways I man it does something in in the apostles it does something it convinces them so much that Jesus is alive that what we're going to find over these next chapters is there's a boldness in them to go no matter what to talk about Christ because of what he's done now, you may think, well, they're the apostles. That's what they were trained to do. They're the apostles. That's what that's what they were supposed to do. They're the apostles. Jesus spent all this time with them. Of course, they're not going to. Let me tell you, that's not true about these guys. These aren't just bold people. All right. They're not just bold people. You know why we know that? This is the third reason that brings certainty. OK, because there's a change that happens in these guys. There's a change that happens in them that makes them go out and preach and tell. If you look chapters before this chapter what do the disciples do what do they do they hide they run when jesus is arrested when he's arrested and he's going to be tried what did the disciples do every one of them they bail on him they run because they're afraid they're scared something's going to happen to them now this is the jesus remember that taught them that showed them he could walk on water that he could raise the dead that he could heal people that he could do all of these things and then these soldiers come to take christ and they're just freaked out and they bail and some of them look from a distance to see him like get beaten and they see him die and the next place we see him is hiding locked in a room scared to death that's what it says because of the jews what if that happens to us what if they come and get us what if they remember you got peter who was the leader the leader should have been the strongest guy and what's he do I, I don't know that guy you got you got the wrong guy i don't i don't know that i wasn't with him i wasn't being taught by him i you got the wrong guy denies him denies his lord these are not bold people guys they're not and something happens in them something changes in the disciples guys the only Thing that's going to change people like that to send them out because what we're going to find what you're going to see in these disciples is they don't care anymore they do not care what happens to them something has happened in their life to transform them from being afraid to having such boldness that they're like we don't care we don't care what you do to us because we know we know for sure that jesus was dead and now he's alive and every other promise he made it's going to come true in our life we ought to have certainty about these things we're going to have to be certain about the things that we say that we believe. Guys, Jesus died and he's alive. And what does that do in us? We're going to look over the next weeks of what it ought to do, of what it should do inside of us and what it should do outside of us and what it should make us do and cause us to do. He goes on in, in, in uh, these next couple verses, finishing up verse 3. He says, to them he presented himself alive. After his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. How cool must that been? Over this period of 40 days, Jesus is appearing to different people and he's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. It's what he talked about his whole life, right? The whole time he's with the disciples, the whole time he's training the disciples, he's talking about the kingdom of God. Talking about the kingdom of God. But what? They didn't get it, right? They didn't get it because they didn't know he was going to die. They didn't know he was going to rise again. And now to sit for those 40 days and just, oh, oh, okay, that makes sense. That, okay, I understand that now. Okay, everything fits in. The, okay. And then now Jesus is just teaching him this is what the kingdom of God is about. This is what I want you to do to advance the kingdom. And for a period of over 40 days, probably not day, 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 day. He's probably going to different places and appearing to different people and, and maybe going to heaven and back and whatever. But over this 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, there's there's something different in how you listen when you've seen the savior of the world dead and you see him alive again there's something different there's something different when you know jesus was dead and now he's alive you listen differently does that change us at all does that make us listen any better as we look at scriptures we look at god's word and we see we ought to know we ought to be certain about these things is it is it changing us anything as we think the king of the world, the king of heaven, the king of the universe, Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, was dead. And just like he promised, he's alive. I'm going to listen to him. You remember when, when uh, in the, what we call the transfiguration where Jesus takes a couple of the disciples up on the mountain. And, and uh, while they're there, they, these disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, they see Jesus transformed into like his heavenly body. And here they are, a pretty freaky situation. And, uh, and they're pretty moved by that, you know, as you would be. And, uh, and they hear God speak from heaven. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Remember what he says after that? Listen to him. Man, do we see God that way? Do we see Jesus that way where, man, he was dead. He was dead. And this Jesus who said he was going to die and live again, he did it. I better listen to him. I better listen to what he says. I better do it. I better follow him. Verses four and five say this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart. Love that. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I think this is our problem. These two verses right here. Here's the disciples. There's no doubt. They're more excited to go tell people than we'll ever be. Okay. They're excited to go do something. They're excited. to. I mean, just I'm ready. Lord, you convinced me I'm going, I'm going to go talk to people. I'm going to go tell them I'm going to go sit them down and say, look, Jesus dead. You saw him bleeding. You saw him die. Got to tell you, he's alive now. And I got to tell you what this is all about. All right. I'm sure that disciples are like jumping out of their skin to go and do that. And what does Jesus say? Wait, wait, Why? Why does he say that? Because I think this is our problem, to be honest. And we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks. But I think these two verses are our problem. I think we have knowledge. I think we've spent some time with Jesus. I think we're concerned about things. I think we've learned a lot of verses. I think we've listened to a lot of sermons. But what were the disciples lacking? That's all they had, right? They've got knowledge. They've got time with Jesus. They've got, they're excited. They have zeal for God. What are they missing? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Jesus says don't go yet. Don't go yet because it doesn't matter how much knowledge. It doesn't matter how much we know. doesn't matter if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit meaningless. If I stand up here and I just talk and talk and talk. I read through the whole Bible and the Holy Spirit is not working. Meaningless. Waste of time. Wait for the promise. That's what he's talking about. Wait for the promise of the Father. It's the Holy Spirit wait for the holy spirit and then i'm gonna tell you we're gonna see when the holy spirit comes there's some real stuff going on like there's some real things happening and god's doing some serious stuff guys is that our problem have we just studied study and let me tell you studying don't stop knowledge good stuff you gotta know why you believe what you believe. You got to, okay? If, you don't, if you're not studying, if you're missing that part, you better start, okay? You got to study. You've got to be in God's word. That was his intentions. That's why he gave it. He didn't give it to pastors, didn't just give it to the prophets. He gave it to you. If you're not studying, if you don't have knowledge of God's word, then get in, go involved in the game, okay? That's probably the first step of getting in the game, all right? Study it. Get it in your mind, get it in your heart. But if we don't have the Holy Spirit, if we don't have God dwelling inside of us. It's meaningless. It's pointless. And we can quote books upon books upon books of the Bible. You know, the Jews could do that. I mean, they could quote not just like a few verses. They didn't learn like a verse. They learned books of the Bible from memory. It doesn't matter if we don't have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter. Guys, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for you today. That's my prayer for you through this whole series. That's a prayer for me. We talked several weeks back, beginning of the year, we talked about turning over our cup. You remember that? And how, how so many of us, we talk about the Holy Spirit and, and how God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you think of all the things that come with that, you know? Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. It's what God has called us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, so many of us, because of our backgrounds, because we've seen in other churches, whatever it is, it's like we have this cup. Our life is this cup that God intends to be filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing. So it's reaching other people. And we're just so resistant. We turn our cup over. I really believe we do that in the church. I I really believe we do that. We still got that little, you know, the dimple at the bottom of the cup. So we got a little tiny bit of the Holy Spirit so we can tell people we're saved, right? That's not God's intentions and and my desire for all of us, all of us, over these next weeks and months and years is that we would just be filled with the Holy Spirit. When people look at us, they would think love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And even above all that, power. There's some kind of a power at work in that person. And I got to know what it is. I got to know what's going on there because he's doing stuff I've never even dreamed of, never even thought about. That's what the Holy Spirit does through people. We're going to find that out over the next weeks. Hate to spoil that for you, but let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for giving your life, being willing to suffer and to die so that we could be saved. Jesus, thank you for the proof that you gave of your life. The proof you gave of your death as you showed them your hands and your feet. Where you were pierced for our transgressions. Thank you for showing them that you are alive. And that if we trust in you, if we believe in you, if we follow you. That the promise that you made of your Holy Spirit. Living inside of us and washing us and making us clean so that there is no condemnation for us thank you for proving that that was true and god i know there's probably some people here still doubting that there's people everywhere still doubting that and i just pray for those that may be sitting here that are wrestling because god if we see this as absolute truth and we have to we have to surrender we have to give up ourselves we have to deny ourselves, and That's that's hard for us to do. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move and work and convict and not allow us to, with calloused hearts, move forward in this book. Change us, soften our hearts and convict us of the sin that keeps us from submitting and surrendering to you. Thank You so much for all that You've done and all that You've given us in Christ, Father. We praise You and just ask that You would move and work in us through this time. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.